0: Just about two years ago, we bid a socially distanced farewell to Stuart Strahl, who was retiring as the longtime head of the Brookfield Zoo, just as COVID-19 was hitting the Chicago area. Well, it hit hard, and Dr. Strahl stayed around to help guide the big zoo through the pandemic. But now he's really retired, and this weekend, we introduce you to the man selected to carry on the work and lead Brookfield Zoo into the future. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Dr. Michael Adkison. As of October, he's taken over as president and CEO of the Chicago Zoological Society, which runs Brookfield Zoo in the western suburbs. That makes him the zoo's director. Dr. Adkisson is not new to the zoo. In fact, he's been part of it since 2008. He's a veterinarian with a master's in business administration, which sounds like perfect training for his new job. Clearly the zoo's board of trustees thought so. Uh, we are conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing. The pandemic is still with us, and it's among the things we'll talk about during this half hour. Uh, Michael Adkinson, welcome. Thank you, thanks for having me. Well, it is a pleasure. And first, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Uh, you've been with the zoo for more than a decade. That makes you probably a fixture there. So is there excitement at the new role or does it feel more like evolution?
1: Uh, both. It's uh, it's a very exciting change for me. Uh, I am absolutely thrilled and honored to be taking the reins of this wonderful organization and moving us forward into the future. But it's also something that I've been preparing myself for for a long time. So in that regard, it, it does feel like a very natural transition.
0: And you've said you look forward to continuing the uh, to transform Brookfield Zoo through new habitats and memorable experiences. Now, I know you have already been meeting with your team. So give us some hints. What are, what habitats are in line for upgrades or, uh, or replacement?
1: Yeah, the planning process right now that uh, has been a little slowed down due to the pandemic. But as we step into 2022, uh, we are very excited to be moving forward with this master planning process, and it will really map out where we see the zoo going over the next 10 years, uh, both in terms of our physical facilities, in terms of animal habitats, and exciting changes for our guests, as well as our programmatic direction in the years to come. Uh, One of the things that we're really starting to focus in on is some new outdoor habitats for our gorillas and our orangutans. So we are working to run that process forward in parallel to the overall master planning process. But that will be the, uh, the next big habitat that we are looking to, to get into place here.
0: Now, one of the showpieces of the zoo is uh, the uh, tropic world and the gorillas have been mostly in there. Does that go away or does it become different? How,
1: how does that work? Yeah, we're we're looking at keeping Tropic World as it is. Um it's still an immensely popular area with our guests, but one of the things that we really uh you know don't like about it is the fact that it doesn't let our animals get outside during the the sunny and nice parts of the year here in Chicago. So that's really where we're looking at it right now is as an addition to the Tropic World area uh bringing in these new outdoor habitats that during a Favorable weather conditions would let our gorillas and our orangutans uh, have more space and also to be outside. Um, as we look to sort of a second phase of that at some point in the future, we would also love to get some of our smaller monkeys uh, into some outdoor opportunities as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the trend has been, uh, you know, in zoos around the country for more natural enclosures uh look mm-hmm. more like the animals in the wild. What are the challenges to doing that uh, and still keeping them accessible and visible to zoo patrons
1: and, frankly, accessible to your staff who have to
0: care for them every day?
1: Tropic World was really a, a revolutionary display when it was first built. But uh, one of the challenges we've had with it from the beginning is that, you know, it doesn't allow us to get our animals outdoors. Uh, provides a great habitat in terms of physical space and size, but um, it really is a, you know, sort of lacking um, as we look at where zoos have been going over the last decade or so in terms of new, new exhibit and new habitat design. Uh, the biggest challenge for us is, is probably the financial challenge more than anything else. Um, you know, habitats are expensive to build um, and can be expensive to maintain depending on uh. How they're, how they're designed. When we start looking at outdoor uh, areas for the gorillas and the orangutans, one of the things that we're so fortunate with here at Brookfield Zoo is that we have the physical space. Um, we've got, you know, a, a lot of acreage to work with. And, and that really is something that it's exciting to us. It gives us the opportunity to Put in habitats where the animals have the opportunity to to move around a lot, to have a good choice of whether they are choosing to be in in a spot where people can see them or not. Uh, we definitely find that with uh, our apes, you know, they they watch us just as much as we watch them. And that's a exciting thing for them to, to be up close to people. So when we really talk about or look at how we're going to design this, we're looking at those opportunities to really put in a variety of viewing areas um, with glass panels that really let people get nose to nose with the animals, so to speak. But that still gives the animal the freedom of choice if you know they wanna just be alone for a while and not be, be uh, in, inside of people, they have that opportunity to do so. Um, but again, we've, we've got the space. So we're really hoping to be able to walk away with a, a really exciting design here. Uh, over the next few months that we'll be able to uh, start moving forward on in the very near future.
0: Are there any uh, habitats that uh, look like either because of age or design that they need to be um, scrapped all together and something new replacing them? And I think I'm just thinking of times that we go, like the wolves, uh, that was that was a completely different, uh, you know, remaking of a, of a mm-hmm. habitat when you, uh, when yeah, when I can say you, you were there when it happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of the the wonderful things with Regenstein Wolf Woods is that it really, um, it it gives the animals the opportunity to really not. Uh, be close to people and one of the things that you know uh, is a priority for us with the mexican gray wolves is that we don't want them to become habituated to people Um, those animals are part of a reintroduction program with the united states fish and wildlife service we've had animals leave here that have gone back into the wild Uh, we've had cross fostering of pups where uh, pups that are born here are taken out into the wild and slipped into a den site with a wild uh, female in the, that has her pups. And some of those pups are brought back into the zoo so that it provides diversity of genetics going back into those wild populations. Um, but as part of that, we, we don't want those wolves to be used to people because that puts them in a, in a dangerous setting in the wild. So. We built that exhibit uh, with the mindset that we wanted the animals to be visible to our guests, but that we also didn't want the wolves to really feel comfortable around people. And that exhibit's done a great job of providing some of those unique viewing opportunities that let people see the animals, but don't let the animals know they're, they're being watched. Um, so that's really, you know, it, it, it's a exciting habitat and I think it works really well for what we want it to do. When we do talk about some of the older facilities uh, here at the zoo, though, uh, we do have a lot of, uh, of old infrastructure. And that's one of our biggest challenges is, is the costs of maintaining the older facilities as well as the costs of renovating them. Or in some cases, even just the demolition uh, costs can be significant because they were built at a time where, you know, it was very thick, heavy concrete with uh, none of the modern technologies that allow for, for lighter weight uh, construction so uh, as we move into this master planning process that's really a big part of what we're we're working to assess is which one uh, which ones are likely to come down which ones are likely to be renovated and which one uh, may be able to be turned over into something completely different um, and that's one of the things that we also always look at is the uh, the historical nature of some of these buildings. Uh, our old reptile house is a great example where we recognized that that was no longer meeting the, the care standards or the needs for the animals that we had here. But we were able to turn that over into a, a conservation leadership center where uh, it serves for educational purposes. It has classrooms, uh, meeting spaces, office space, those types of things. was able to, to keep the historical character of the building, but really reimagine it in a completely different way.
0: How is COVID or the anticipation of another possible pandemic affecting the planning, if at all?
1: Uh, The pandemic has has been a big challenge for us here at the zoo, obviously. Um, As you mentioned in the intro, uh, Dr. Strahl stayed around uh, for an extra year to uh, kind of work through that process with us and make sure that we were able to keep the institution stabilized during these tough times. Uh, We were closed uh, for a longer period of time and more days than we had been closed in the previous, you know, 80 years plus of the organization being here. So, Uh, that definitely, definitely hurt us financially. Um, but we have been able to emerge from it in a strong position. Um, our, you know, our gates have been opened again. Um, our visitation is strong. I think people are excited to be able to get out, be in an outside venue and really try and uh, get back to life as normal. Um, the, uh, You know, the other exciting piece of that is that it's really given us the opportunity to step back and and look at some of our, our business operations and some of our engagement opportunities. We were able to take some of our uh, guest programming and put it into a, a virtual format with Zoom and other means and have found some of those programs work really, really well in that setting. Uh, we've got teacher training programs in science and nature education that we've converted to online format. Um, our evening lecture series with uh, scientists um, explaining their work and in, in conservation programming has done great online as well. So there are some things that as we look to, you know, get back to normal, um, we really may be looking at a new normal for those things
0: mm-hmm. yeah. that is a that's a, if anything good came out of the pandemic it's stuff like that uh, even yeah. in the business world um but you are also mentioning uh, the guest experience how broad is that master plan for brookfield i mean what 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 are you uh, envisioning for uh, the the patrons who come?
1: Um, We're really focused in on providing an incredible guest experience, and uh, I think many of us here feel very strongly that there really is no replacement to these up-close and personal encounters with wildlife, even uh, with HD television streaming of Planet Earth and other nature series that really let you see wildlife in in an amazing setting. Uh, as wonderful as those programs are, and as engaging as they are, they really can never replicate that close experience of being with some of these animals. And that's what we really want to use the the zoo to do, is to make that type of connection with people. Um, you know, I've seen it in the eyes of my own children, um, as you know, they're, they're young, and, and those personal encounters are just so incredibly strong and in shaping of their, their young minds. And helping to generate that connection with wildlife and nature and a desire to, you know, conserve our planet and uh, focus on, you know, how we can can help to not only maintain, but to restore so many of our natural places left in this world. And, um So that's really what we're looking for when we talk about the guest experience is we want to make every effort that we can to really get people into that setting where they can see wildlife up close and have those personalized encounters. Um, As we look to new exhibits and new exhibit design, uh, we're able to do amazing things with modern construction materials in terms of glass panels and Um, Other opportunities to get animals up close. Um, We look at things that other zoos have done in terms of, uh, you know, being able to walk through a tunnel under part of an exhibit where you're able to look up and see an animal in a way that you never really would see them in um, we talk about overhead tunnels to move animals between buildings or into new outdoor habitats. And those kinds of experiences can really let people make that connection in a variety of different ways. Um, we also love to be able to tell the story of, you know, the animal's natural habitats, the threats they face in the wild, conservation programs, and help to uh, help people see that big picture and how they can help.
0: You're listening to WBBM news radios at issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest this week is Dr. Michael Atkison, president and CEO of the Chicago Zoological Society and the new director of the Brookfield Zoo. And you're bringing up something else I wanted to ask about, and that's that the zoo is not just a place to, uh, to keep and care for and visit animals. You also study them. Um, what kind of research is underway at Brookfield uh, to keep those animals and their species healthy?
1: We have a wide variety of programs going on at any given point in time. Some of those are longstanding research programs or conservation programs and Other ones come up in more of an intermittent basis where we may contribute uh, biological samples or uh, behavior monitoring for short periods of time and uh, contribute to some of these short-term studies. When we look at some of our longer-running programs, we have a very good uh, background in animal welfare research, which really is focusing in on making sure that we're providing the animals, not only with the best physical care possible, but that we're really meeting their needs from a mm-hmm. uh, overall welfare standpoint and that our animals are, uh, we always shy away from the word, but really trying to say that our animals are happy and that, you know, they are living a good life that uh, they're happy with. And that happy is kind of hard to to characterize sometime, but uh, you, you or I, when we come home to a pet at home, when I come home to my dog, I know that my dog's happy to see me. And I think that's one of the things that we really want people to understand is that the bond between our care staff and our animals is such that the animals are in a good uh, physical and psychological state and that they're they're happy. Um, so that's really where a lot of our welfare research comes into play is, is doing everything we can to, to provide that highest level of care possible. We've got extremely strong uh, research programs uh, going on within our veterinary care teams as well. That was the background that I'm stepping into this position from. And that's everything from uh, assessing the health of individual animals uh, all the way up to assessing the health of entire ecosystems within the wild. We've got conservation programs that uh, look at bottlenose dolphins in Sarasota Bay, Florida, Uh, We've got conservation programs in Peru, um, looking at Humboldt penguins and South American fur seals and sea lions and a variety of other programs that are focused on looking at uh, diseases, environmental contaminants, other threats to populations, reproductive success, and a wide variety of other um, efforts to really understand the health of the entire ecosystem.
0: Now, uh, Dr. Atkinson, I have the uh, the advantage of having read your bio. Uh, it seems like you've been heading for a job just like this for a really long time. Uh, when did you know you wanted to work with animals?
1: Um, I, uh, I'm from Decatur, Illinois, Central Illinois, um, and there's a small zoo in my hometown, Scoville Zoo. It's a really wonderful place, and I got involved in youth education programs there uh, that I think my mom just kind of signed me up for on a whim at about uh, the age of eight, and I stuck with those programs for as long as they would let me enroll, and when I got too old to be enrolled, I volunteered with them uh, until I was uh, finally at the age of 15 and a half. I was old enough to, to be put on staff, and I worked as a part-time zookeeper um, all through high school and, and through undergrad, and uh, I really... Knew at a very early age that I wanted to keep working with animals and that I wanted to do it in a, in a zoo setting. And I was very fortunate uh, to be able to find a path through veterinary medicine that let me do that. Um, I, from day one of vet school, was focused on coming out of it to work in a zoo and uh, was incredibly fortunate to do three years of, of postgraduate training in a residency program at the St. Louis Zoo. Um, in the University of Missouri. And then following uh, that residency training, um, very fortuitously, there was an opportunity open here at Brookfield Zoo as an associate veterinarian uh, that I stepped into, and the rest from there is kind of history. I've been here ever since. Growing up in central Illinois,
0: does that perspective add anything to your work? Uh,
1: I think it definitely does. You know, I, I grew up, that's that's a medium-sized City, we could call it that, or a, a small city, um, but very tight-knit community. Um, and really, uh, I think that background has really helped, helped me a lot, um, just in terms of being able to see things from different perspectives. Um, for a small town, a uh, tremendous amount of diversity. Um, so, you know, that has, has helped me a lot, too, I think, o- over my career, Um, the other thing about it too, is, you know, it's that connection to kind of wide open spaces. And, you know, one of my places where I feel most content a lot of the times is, you know, in a car driving in the country and, you know, just the wide open land and the wide open spaces. And I think that gets really hard here in the Chicago area sometimes to remember, um, that not everything is an urban landscape and, Um, we are so incredibly fortunate in the Chicagoland area to have, um, so much land set aside within our forest preserves and those forest preserves really provide people that opportunity to get out and connect with wildlife and nature. Um, Brookfield Zoo sits right in the middle of those forest preserve tracts of land. And, um, we are very close partners with the forest preserves of Cook County, um, and it's a wonderful relationship. It really um, serves both of us very well in trying to connect people with wildlife and nature, and uh, be able to escape the the urban environment and and get out into what is restored habitats in terms of forests and prairies and other settings here in, in the Chicagoland area.
0: Yeah, I wonder if uh, if the public is still appreciating those kinds of settings as much as they they should or they used to. I mean, what's what's the future for for zoos? Is the public still coming out in encouraging numbers? I mean, are are, are they provi- and are they providing the resources that that mm-hmm. zoos need?
1: Yeah, I think more than ever, um, people are really looking for those connections as we continue to become more urbanized as a society. I think people are, are looking for those escapes back out into nature. Um, it can provide such an incredibly tranquil and, and calming um, experience for people and lets them step away from the, the constant noise and bustle and, and just sort of hectic day, daily life that we feel in, in city landscapes. And so I, I think that future is very strong. I think the pandemic has also really driven that home for a lot of people that, you know, as you sit at home kind of uh, alone with your family, with your world kind of shrunk down to a virtual landscape on your computer, that chance to get outside and refresh and recharge is is such a wonderful thing. Uh, Zoos across the country continue to do well. Um, Zoos are reimagining themselves um, in a constantly evolving setting from a, a place where the sole focus was just kind of the The spectatorship of wildlife, you know, uh, 100 years ago to more of a focus on education and recreation. And now, today, um, most recently, into a a conservation center that helps to protect wildlife, um, allows for reintroduction programs, provides education to people around uh, factors that influence the natural landscape within the regions, what they can do to help wildlife. And really, as we see so many uh, species on an annual basis continue to become more endangered um, and more threatened, zoos really provide that sort of rescue net um, for many of these species, both uh, with the populations within zoos as well as the work that we do in a conservation uh, setting in the wild, um, working with animals and, and protecting habitats and species.
0: How do you balance the education uh, mission of zoos like yours um, with the risk of people feeling that it's becoming too preachy? Uh, mm-hmm. But 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 I but I would think you also feel an obligation that you have to, you know, there there has to be something to tell people this is not, this is the one part of a species that may not be here in a you yeah. know in another few decades.
1: To me, the best way to do that is to make sure that we don't ever lose track of the the recreation component of what we're here for. Um, People learn so much better when they're having fun. And I think that's one of the ways that zoos really have such a wonderful opportunity to provide education and and to teach that mission without sounding preachy, as you said. Um, If we can get people to a point that they're having fun Um, that's our goal. And that really helps those people to then learn. And if we can make those connections to animals, uh, a lot of that learning comes naturally. It's always astonishing to me how, uh, people may come in and they've never seen a a particular animal up close, or they've never had the chance to touch one. And you can just see in the moment that they make that connection, whether it's physical or just close proximity or whatever the case may be, you just kind of see their face light up. And then the questions just start coming and, and, you know, it's such a natural opportunity to teach because you've got that engagement. Somebody's excited, somebody's amazed at what they're seeing and they want to know more. And that's where we can really use that opportunity to, to make that difference in that person's life as far as what they may do to help conserve the planet and our animals.
0: With the few minutes we have left, I can't let you get away without uh, mentioning that uh, Brookfield has a lot going on right now. Uh, do. <laughs> Holiday magic is back, <laughs> yes. uh, even in a time of COVID. So uh, how is that going?
1: Well, it's going fantastic this year. Um, the weather is incredibly cooperative this year. We've had just a delightful December in terms of temperatures and, and the lack of snow. So that's made a lot of enjoyable nights for a lot of people. Um, so it's going very well from an attendance standpoint. Uh, we continue to make holiday magic bigger and better every single year, uh, over 2 million twinkling lights around the park. Um, the popular, uh, lighted tunnel is back and next to it this year, we've got an entire field of of synchronized lights that are just absolutely incredible to look at. Um, we've, uh, been receiving very very strong reviews from people about how how excited they are to see that um, we've got um, all of our other um, uh, normal light escapes are up our buildings are open for people to be able to come in and see the animals um, inside and uh, really just a wonderful wonderful uh, opportunity to get out with the family and enjoy a, a nice night out um, Should we
0: tell people consi- to make sure they bring their masks
1: yes yes make sure you bring your masks um, we do have a mask mandate for all of our uh, indoor buildings right now um, but uh hopefully uh, a lot of people will be able to get out and uh, swing by to take a look at it
0: well as as, as zoom members ourselves uh, we we have enjoyed uh coming out for for that event Uh love to hear that yeah, our, our 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 son is uh way too old for boo at the zoo now but uh but that was a very popular uh, thing growing up so uh, yes yes so, and all of those things are, are coming back uh strong i would think
1: yeah they are um you know i would i would make the argument that you're never too old for boo at the zoo um we have uh people uh adults dressed up that every year come through with some of the most amazing costumes you can imagine with their children and grandchildren and it's it's a wonderful opportunity as well but see that's the thing
0: though they drag the kids along as an excuse (laughs) to be able to come and dress up yeah yeah but well that is that is great to hear and uh also thank you so much for uh for spending this time with us uh that is Dr. Michael Adkinson, he is the Brookfield Zoo director and also head of the Chicago Zoological Society. Um, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There is a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcasts on odyssey.com. That's a-u-d-a-c-y.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that Issue, and I hope you'll be listening until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 WBBM.
2: Ah, <sighs> spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too.